0: We are back with another episode of Wesley Union. As usual, it's me, Sarah. And today I am joined once again by Derek Scott III to talk about Aldersgate Day. Derek, how are you today? I'm
1: doing pretty good. Doing pretty good.
0: You know, glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Particularly on like a Sunday afternoon. Sundays can be super busy. You know, like it's like the beginning of the work week. So thank you for this. And it's gonna be a busy week. It's
1: gonna be a busy one, yes.
0: It is. Yeah. <laughs> Last yeah. week was busy. This <laughs> week's going to be busy. It's a whole thing, but it's good. It's good. So, um, for those who have not like gotten to know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And specifically... Um, since we're talking about Aldersgate Day, which we'll get into what that is in a little bit, but can you talk about your journey into becoming like part of the Wesleyan tradition and what that's yeah, been yeah, like? Yeah, yeah,
1: So, um, Derek Scott III, I'm a campus minister uh, uh, for the United Methodist Church here in Florida, leading Campus City Wesley Foundation. I'm a part time beer tender at a local craft brewery. And just recently, I added on uh, Insights Associate for Sacred Design Lab, which is a, a research firm. Uh, just uh, trying to get good data and consulting and thought leadership around spiritual spaces. So, um, I did get to do a lot. How did I get connected to the Wesleyan traditional? So, um, really, really cool. I uh, wasn't, I didn't grow up Methodist or associated with really with anything. Um, directly related to the Wesleyan tradition. Although there were these uh, particular churches that I stumbled into because of different associations I had. So there was a church around the corner from my home church. Um, Gosh, I can't remember. It's it's St. Joseph's. That's the name of it. St. Joseph's UMC. And I remember stepping into that space and seeing uh, different communion objects, liturgical objects, and I just wasn't completely sure about those, but they were intriguing. And then I also used to step into a space called Greater Grant Memorial African Methodist Episcopal Church. And at the time, I did not know the difference between United Methodist and African Methodist Episcopal. Didn't know the difference at all. But those are two spaces that I did sort of stumble into because of some other associations that I had. When I was in high school, uh, my music teacher invited me as well as some of my other classmates to come and help them start a music department at a church plant. And the church was being planted by the United Methodist Church, uh, in the Jacksonville area, Bay Meadows area. And, uh, long story short, I ended up becoming a member of that church and spending a great deal of, uh, you know, my last years of high school and my first, you know, decade as an adult, um, I spent at that church. Um, a few years into my thirties something my 30s as well and uh, crossroad united methodist was not the typical united methodist church in any in any way shape or form but uh, I did end up meeting other people related to the united methodist church and particularly as a campus minister began to you know travel make new friends and begin to really appreciate specifically the united methodist church but this larger story about um, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and the movement that they started, which would eventually become one piece of it would be the United Methodist Church, so it was a long way of getting there, but I just a, a lot of different things there a lot of different interactions that kind of got me into being a, got me you know, uh, into the Wesleyan tradition and the Wesleyan movement, and now i can 't imagine doing this work without being connected to it, without having Wesleyan theology um, as sort of a part of my own personal philosophy of life and ministry. So I'm a big fan. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, much more I could probably say, but I'll just stop there because I've already said a lot
0: no no that was really i'd never i knew pieces of your story i just had never heard quite how that transition happened so Mm -hmm. like as your friend that's like interesting to hear about like and like know where where that all actually took place um super so you started to talk a little bit about like, you know, this whole like movement by John and Charles Wesley, yada, yada, yada. So like that's getting into church history, which I know you love history and like you like church history. So could you tell us like why it's important to like acknowledge church history and like know about it? Like what, why do we care?
1: Yeah, so my undergraduate degree is in history, so there's a a lot of reasons why I think history in general, specific church history is helpful. I guess, particularly for this conversation we're having, there is something about our story, our story as Christians in general, and then our story as um, a type of Protestant Christian, and then our story as Wesleyan Christians. Like, these pieces... Contribute to what is here now. And so I'm not interested in us learning about history to sort of do this, like, let's go back there. That's not really why I'm interested. I'm interested in us learning about history and keeping that in mind because it really does describe how we got here. And our responsibility is to now, there's a responsibility for the future. But really our responsibility is here and now and understanding how we got from there to here um, becomes really important. I think also then, and again, this gets even more so to what we're talking about today, knowing the moments that really shape how we think about ourselves as humans as christians as western christians as protestant western christians as wesleyan protestant western christians like all that knowing that i think helps us really decide how we might want to embody that memory today Mm -hmm. and i guess the thing is that i'm convinced of: we will embody that memory whether we're aware of that memory or not and so I would rather us, I would rather we be invited into a agency forward embodying, as opposed to a accidental env- embodiment. And this <laughs> is where we must continue to recover our collective memory, because it is the collective memory that we are living into and living out of, whether we know it or not. Um, and and that you know, maybe a little more existential than some people are in, interested or used to, but that would be the reason why for me, I I don't see how we ever escape the past. So I think it's better to face it so that we are better equipped to serve this particular moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you talking about how, like, we're going to embody and live into that whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we see that in the way, like, like, so like my degree is in sociology, which I've talked about on here before, but systems that were created, justice systems, taxation systems, et cetera, et cetera, that were created, you know, 100 years ago or whatever, they're a part of our history. And whether we're consciously living into what they're doing or not, they're still impacting people because we're participating yeah. in them and furthering them. Unless we know how they came to be, know what those people were intending, and then can analyze it critically now and then make adjustments to fix the harm that they have caused because of the way they were set up, because by the people they were set up in history, Like we're still going to live into it whether we know it or not. But if we know exactly. it, we can choose more of the trajectory of how it lands and yeah. stuff.
1: And I think we know this implicitly when it comes to like family. We know that we mm-hmm. are the inheritors of a very specific story. Most of us, I guess. Um, we know that there's you know moments where the reason why we're, for instance, in this city is because of a decision that was made by some close ancestor possibly right and like and and then why are we in this group of people why do we go to that church like these are all decisions that we and and we decisions that impact us and then the decisions that we make whether we recognize those other decisions or not are connected so the choice to leave a city is in response to where your family landed whether you want to see those connections or not there's still stuff there right like and, and this is where we get into well we won't get into that because we've got other things to talk about today but I, yes uh, I'll just keep making my point over and over again we are embodying that, that history whether we like it or not and so I would much rather we have agency in that embodiment and our choices in embodying mm-hmm. that that history than you just sort of like it just kind of keeps going without our knowledge without our active knowledge so
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, in in an effort to live into some active knowledge and knowing more about church history, can you tell us what the story slash reason for um, Aldersgate Day is? Yeah. So
1: let me be very clear that while we do celebrate Alders, Aldersgate in some parts of the Wesleyan movement, specifically United Methodism, it is not a true liturgical holiday in the in the way that um, Easter. Christmas, even Epiphany, even Ascension Day. Like, it's, it's not a liturgical holiday. It's really more of a Methodist holiday. So this is like <laughs> the family. Like, this is a celebration of our Methodist heritage and family. So um, what Aldersgate is, so on the 24th of May, 1738, John Wesley, he's just coming off of um, being on... Uh, he'd been on on sort of mission in the states it's particularly in georgia and it just didn't go well at all and there's a whole lot of stories some like really dramatic some just really tragic um but he had been on all that mission didn't go well he's back in back in england in london at this point and um you know he's he's um he is not a person that uh moves in a way that says he's not a christian anymore but he is questioning the depth of his own faith and and I want to be careful that we don't superimpose conversations on him that he possibly didn't have but there is a sense of a of an exploration that's happening and a questioning around his faith as a result of things just not going really well in Georgia and um And again, this is not a person who within that questioning is pulling away from church. But we do hear him sort of make these statements that we know there's a there's a a bit of a struggle going on there. And so in his journal on the 24th of May, um, the journal, there's this particular entry and it starts this way. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Alders Alders in Aldersgate Street. So in London, there's this street, Aldersgate Street, and there's was this place he went and there was a Moravian society meeting. Moravians, a you know, very specific group of Christians that, um, John Wesley had encountered on his travels and he actually was very inspired and challenged by the ways that the Moravians could be. And, and there's a particular story where they're on this boat and they're in the middle of the storm and, 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 and they, everybody thinks they're going to die. And so like most normal people, the Moravians get into a corner of the boat and because they're so afraid they're going to die, they start singing, singing songs to Jesus. Cause that's what normal human beings do when they're afraid on a boat and thinking they're going to die. And John Wesley's like, how are y'all doing that? Like, I'm so scared. And Yeller, and even like, even Julia's like, how are they doing that? Like, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so he really connected with these Moravians. Was really inspired, challenged by them. He had a really uh, good friend. I believe his name is Peter. um And and I, I imagine Peter or some other Moravian was like, "Come to society meeting on Aldersgate Street on the twenty fourth of May." And he's like, "I don't want to go. I'm just tired. I don't want to go." And he goes unwillingly. That's John Wesley's word. Um, and while he was there, there was a reading of, this is his, back to his journal entry, where one was reading Luther, that's Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, 845, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that's a, that's a, Nice Methodist line there, Methodist phrase, the heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Now there's so much that we can talk about what happens in this moment with John Wesley, but it's an experience. And one of the, one of the ways we talk about that experience is we call it the assurance of salvation. That's, it's not just a head knowledge that Christ has saved us, but it is it is deeply internal in a place where like nobody else can get to, but the Holy Spirit and you know, and what we believe is that it is on this day at this place that John Wesley was not necessarily wanting to be, that he has this experience where his heart is strangely warmed and he is assured of his salvation in a way that being on mission, being uh, deeply involved in church and even being uh, a priest at that point in a way of being a teacher of the scriptures, none of those things gave him the assurance. It was this moment that on the 24th of May, it was this moment that really like locked it in for him. And this is a day that we lift up in the Methodist slash Wesleyan movement um, as an important day to remind us of the ways that God works in our lives, particularly through the Holy Spirit. So I'll let you uh, ask me some more questions and, and we'll keep going from there. But that's the gist of it. That's why we have Alder's Gate Day.
0: Mm. Mm. I love the way you you sort of ended that talking about like, the way it's part of how we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And Mm -hmm. like that being a reason why it like matters and why we still care about it because Mm -hmm. it is this very, very big example. And I think it's interesting that it, at least this year, falls the day after Pentecost. Yes. Right? Yes. Like Pentecost is the 23rd this year and Aldersgate Day is the 24th. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so that pairing is just so beautiful to me.
1: And it's usually in the season of Pentecost. I don't. I, I think it's rare for it to not land during the liturgical season of Pentecost. And so this becomes a a, a a mini Pentecost for us in some respects, right? Like where we again we think about how God moves in the heart and warms the heart. Yeah. and 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 it's and it's, and, it, and it, this is where I think for us, I think you know twenty first century. You know, millennial, Gen X, Gen Z people. We hear "heart strangely warmed" It's like that sounds kind of bland, but I think like eighteenth uh, century, eighteenth century Londoners are like, "What does that even mean? Heart strangely warmed?" Like, and I think that's just it's it's phenomenal in their world, and I think that it still is for us too.
0: Mm. I don't know. There is something very like beautifully poetic about that phrasing. I think personally, yeah. like, yeah um heart strangely warmed like cuz i think sometimes we know like what it means like whenever like oh our heart's been like warmed oh that was like heartfelt and touching but like that's like familiar to some of us i guess but like and like we know what that is like but the strange warmth like it's like it was unnerving almost right like right, he right. couldn't just be like content and go oh that's so sweet like it was like compelling in some way like it was it was a different kind of like Peace and warmth.
1: Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, so there's so much that we can talk about then about this day. And, and there's one layer of just the awareness, the radical nature, the continued movement of the Holy Spirit. And this is, you know, particularly key as we think about Pentecost. There's another layer where we talk about someone's relationship with Jesus and there being an assurance, a confidence. And I love what John Wesley says, um, you know, that, that he, he had taken away my sins, even mine. And, and John's talking about his own life. He's not just talking theologically or philosophically. This isn't a preach, right? Like this is a, an experience for himself And I don't know if many of us get into Christianity for the personal experience, but it's a part of the journey. Like it's a there's a definitely a theological piece. There's an activity piece. There's joining church movements on some level. But there's this thing where you encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit in a way that only you understand it. And this is one of those, this is a moment for John where this is like his life. It is not like something, I mean, yeah, he's going to write about it one day, but this is really more about his own journey. And so it brings this question, when was the last time you felt the Holy Spirit in that way that like something locked in? You, hmm. you became confident of God's um love for you god's support of you god's uh movement in your life um it's a a big deal um and there's several other layers that we could talk about as well but
0: yeah Mm. yeah yeah i think that's i think that's an interesting question i think it's a moment that i want i want to let sit for a second so we're gonna have our break really quick and we're gonna come back and we'll keep diving into this conversation on aldersgate day In addition to these Wesley Union Liturgical Year podcasts, we also have a Liturgical Reflections blog series, where different members of the Studio Wesley community share their thoughts on different liturgical days and seasons. To read some of these reflections, visit wwwstudiowesleyorg blogs liturgical dash reflections. Right, everyone, we are back for the second we half are of back. our podcast. Yes, we are. Skate-
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are.
0: <laughs> Correct. Say, you're all peppy. You went and saw Julian and like.
1: I did. I he, did. Yep.
0: Julian is Derek Bengal cat. For those of you who don't know, you might hear him in the recording at some point. You will hear low. him
1: in the recording and he's out there and he's just doing his thing and, there's, and he screams and that's just what it is. So <laughs> we get used to it.
0: Yes, yes. So before we took a break, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and Aldersgate Day and the personal experiences that people have with the Holy Spirit, which as John Wesley described was his heart being strangely warmed Um, So on the note of personal experiences, Derek, what does Aldersgate Day mean to you personally, and how do you experience that Holy Spirit connection?
1: So I'm going to add one more layer of the significance, and then I'm going to let that segue to why Aldersgate Day means a lot to me, which is going to force me to talk about some of my own family stuff, which is going to be great. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, one more layer of significance is that sometimes people call Aldersgate Day the day of John Wesley's conversion and depending on the part of the family of Jesus you're in that word convert has some very specific meaning so there's some members of the family of Jesus that when you say that was the day John Wesley had his conversion experience or are like John Wesley got saved after he did all of this stuff for Jesus like all he, he was a priest like And he has to, because for them, they hear conversion as salvation. They hear conversion as coming to Jesus and being converted to being a child of God. It's not really what happened that day. Because again, John Wesley, while while he might be questioning the depth of his faith, he is not questioning the reality of it. Um, The thing that is converting for John Wesley on Aldersgate Day is this sense that Jesus can justify someone who is not sanctified yet. Excuse me, Jesus can claim someone and call someone a child of God before they have fully embraced all that that means. And so that for John Wesley, many believe is a bit of a shift in his theology. Um, there was a sense that before Aldersgate Day that John Wesley was, for himself and others, thinking you have got to be this fully committed, all, all, you know, all I's dotted, all T's crossed idea of being a Christian before there's this sense that God truly receives you. But what John Wesley experienced was that even in the midst of wherever he was mentally, that here is Jesus already claiming him as a child of God. And that is a beautiful, beautiful idea there that that leads us to really think deeply, not just about our experience of Jesus via the Holy Spirit, but our recognition that we, even if we don't think we are good enough, we have already been justified to call ourselves children of the living God. We've already been justified to live into what it means to be a part of the family of Jesus. Now, not all of the members of the family will treat us like we are true children. But as far as God is concerned, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord has been saved has been included, has been brought in. So that's another significant point about Aldersgate Day and the sense of conversion, specifically John Wesley's conversion. And I just wonder in what ways does Jesus want to continue to shape, to revise, even to convert our theology, these things that we're so sure we know about. And then also we have this experience that shakes up all the things we knew things that are supposed to be super solid. And so that's just a thought and that gets us into all kinds of stuff. But now why is uh, Aldersgate uh, meaningful to me? It is meaningful to me because I cannot escape. It's one of those days that I actually have to truly lean into the heritage that I've been given. So while the 24th of May is a significant day in the Methodist movement, it is also a significant day in my family because my great-grandmother's birthday is the 24th of May. Now, for those who don't know the stories about my great-grandmother, my great-grandmother is the reason I'm in ministry. My great-grandmother is the matriarch of my family. got a master's in education, doctored in theology. She ran the Sunday school at my church. She introduced me to the the Apostles' Creed, made sure that I knew how to uh, be a part of the church at a high level, took me on to to church conferences and events out of town starting at age seven. Like, this woman is why I am the way that I am (laughs) because of all the stuff that she did. She's like, I'm bringing my great-grandson with me on this. And like, she I mean, she's an incredible, incredible human. And and i I'm, I'm often just I, I often reflect on the ways that her example has literally told me how to live. Mm-hmm. And so on the twenty-fourth of May, I have this intersection of my spiritual heritage that comes from my family and my spiritual heritage that comes from the founder of the movement I'm a part of. And for me, it is a day that I recognize I didn't get to this place by myself. That there was a work that the Holy Spirit's been doing in people that got me here. And I I um, I am the embodiment of their choices. I am the product of their choices. And so then I'm thinking, who's gonna be the embodiment and the product of my choices? Is it possible that my witness, my life, even the things that I earn, the work I do, in what ways is that going to shape and sort of? To carve out a path for somebody else, like my great grandmother carved out for me. And John Wesley, in a sense, carved out for us in the Wesleyan movement. We do things the way we do them because John Wesley did it that way. And in some ways, that could be like kind of restrictive. And in other ways, like we, we hat it back. Like we have a book of discipline, not because somebody was like, we, Methodists need a book. No, John Wesley had a book of discipline. We gather for conference and we believe in holy conferencing because our founder, like that's, That's the heritage that we've been given. And, you know, I, um, my entire life is based around the life of the church because that's the way I was raised. That's where, that's, that's, that's what, and for better, for worse, right? Like, um, knowing, knowing that the church is just full of people who are always on their journey. And so you got to be careful about how much you take personally when they're clapping back at you. I learned that from my great-grandmother who I'd be sitting in rooms where people didn't realize I was there and they'd be saying all kinds of weird stuff about my great-grandmother. And Then I'd come home and I'd like be like, why do they got to say that about you? It's like, the Lord is my shepherd, baby. I shall not walk. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside still. These, these are the words of a woman who like, carved out a path for me and gave me an example that I could not ignore. And I think we say the same thing about John Wesleyan. So for me, Odor's Gate Day is this day, it's, it's a heritage day for me, but on so many levels. And yeah, even these like moments, these moments that like only are significant for me could be the catalyst for an entire movement. And there are some that say that the, the Wesleyan movement was born on Aldersgate Day. Like there's these other things that happened before, and this is why some people say it, but not everybody says it. But there's this sense, there is a sense that the, the shape of John Wesley's practical theology came into being as a result of his heart being strangely warmed that day, May 24th, 1738, on Aldersgate Street. And so I think about the woman who was born on the 24th of May in 1916 who raised me at 1067 Albert Street here in Jacksonville. I think about that woman as I think about John Wesley. And y'all, it's all here. It's all up in here, okay? I am in my feels right now. I just don't emote well. So there we go. That's why it means so much to me personally.
0: Oh, that was so beautiful. I... I've heard you talk about your great-grandmother and, like, what an incredible woman she was and, like, how she did so much for you and made you so much of who you are. But I didn't realize that, that her birthday was on Aldersgate Day when I asked you to do this. I, I was unaware of that connection. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. Um, that's, oh, that's so beautiful and, like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I know, I know. This is what happens. <laughs> we have two fives who are, like, in fields and we're like, <laughs> <laughs> give <him> a minute. <laughs>
1: I need about a year to figure out what the words are to express the emotion (laughs) that I'm feeling right now. (laughs) Right?
0: Yeah. You know, Enneagram five things.
1: (laughs) That's what it is. That's what it is.
0: But, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing about Mm -hmm. that, like, personal note and stuff. I... I am, like, so... Thinking about the fact that... Right, so like that, the strangely warm stuff comes from John Wesley's like personal journal. And I don't think when people write in their personal journals usually in their time that they're thinking that people are going to be talking about them in almost 300 years later, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. John Wesley probably thought the strangely warmed was for himself and for him. And, you know, maybe he didn't even give it that much thought. Maybe he did, like Mm. he's probably a thoughtful dude, but like he just wrote how he was feeling, right? And I don't think that, you know- I don't know. Maybe she did, but maybe when your grandmother was, you know, born and like people like, I'm sure there was like, oh, I hope her life is full of meaning and beauty and like that she follows God all the days of her life and like makes a good impact for God. But I don't think someone was like, oh, you know what? She's going to be born on the same day that John Wesley had this experience, (laughs) and that's going to impact Derek Scott the Third, our you know great grandson, in this certain way, and it's going to create all these beautiful connections. There are these mundane things or these things that the Holy Spirit does or that like are orchestrated in the bigger picture of things that create this beautiful tapestry of life that we don't really realize until we're like several lines down on forming the tapestry. And yeah. it's like, oh, that like, or we never know meant anything because they meant, didn't mean anything to us, but they meant something to someone else.
1: So I I would normally go with you, but I'm going to take the the opposite view because one of the things we know is that john wesley did include many of his journal entries in uh in the writings that he sent out we know that he allowed his life to sort of be exposed and we know <laughs> that john wanted other people to have their own alder's gate day moment like that's we know this mm-hmm. so there is this you know we could say like i don't know if john was thinking that other people would be reading his journal and that's a beautiful line of thinking but what's this, here's the other line of thinking what if he did know he, what if he did intend for this to be a part of the heritage? And he wasn't, wanted to intentionally make sure that this was a day we never forgot. And this is where I think about my ancestors, my close ancestors, as well as the ones that I don't know about, where they're like, someday African-Americans are going to have more rights than me. And I want to put something in the story that gives them... Something to look back on, something to live off of, and so, yeah, I live off of the fact that my great grandmother had a had a doctorate in theology. I live off of that, and i 'm grateful that that wasn 't hidden in sort of the you know the the i don 't know just the, the the rush of life, but that that was made prominent for me as a as a as a piece of the story of what i 've been given, and there is something about being quite intentional about what we're leaving for the next generation. Not just hoping that the next generation figures it out, but recognizing that in many ways, when things get weird, the next generation's gonna look back and it's gonna ask the question, so what did we do? And that's the thing I'm thinking about with the generations that come after me. Like, when they look back, I want them to be be like, oh my, like Derek, took advantage of every opportunity that was given to him. And, and, and he, he trusted God all the way through it. Like, and I don't know if I can even talk about it in that, in those terms of the way I talk about it, you know, from my great grandmother and from John, but yeah, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe they were a little more intentional and thank God if they were, thank God if they were.
0: Absolutely. And like, that's a, I appreciate that strain of thinking, quite honestly. Mm. Like, I think there is like beauty in either, I guess, like mm-hmm. whether it was a sincere moment that we, you know, was not known was going to have the impact it had or whether it was an intentional, I want to leave something and this matters and I'm going to be very careful about this. There's, there's beauty in both of them. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I appreciate that you clapped back at that.
1: Oh, I mean, I always pretty- that. wasn't a clap back. That was an ad, too. <laughs> That's what that was. Sure. That was okay. a both and moment. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we been, I think, talking about a lot of like stories, like in the last little bit, typically, you'd like talking about your childhood and like. The fact that you know your great grandmother's like doctrine and theology was not hidden, like, specific moments that like mattered. But are there specific Bible stories or scriptures or like other moments in church history that really come to mind when you think about Aldersgate Day?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously the day of Pentecost. You know that when the Holy Spirit um, comes on upon comes upon the disciples and it changes things for everybody. Like who they are pre-Pentecost and who they are post-Pentecost, there's, a, there, there's some distance there. There's something has shifted, something has converted. And, and there's a sense they were already followers of Jesus and that's why they were in the upper room in the first place because that's what mm-hmm. Jesus told them to do. But there was something on the other side of it. And, and so I think that, that that becomes one of those places that I, that I just remind myself. I think of just countless stories where people have in the scriptures, they have encounters with the holy that changes them. And so I think about that. And I and I think about the journeys of people who are not perfect when they first encounter God, whether that be in the old testament Hebrew Bible side of things or the New Testament side of things, when they first encounter God, they are not all that they can be or could be. But that does not prevent God, in however ways God is showing up in those moments, to give them everything that God can give them. And so I think about someone like Peter, and I think of someone like David. These are people who have lots of mistakes, lots of flaws, and yet we know that the beginning of the story that we know about them is not (laughs) The moment they have these interactions with the holy that changes everything about everything, we we encounter them way before that, we, and and we encounter them in their mistakes, and having mistakes does not disqualify them from being in the story, the big story narrative, and, and I think this is a really this is a challenging thought, uh, particularly in an age where we are wanting to somehow figure out how we hold people accountable, but not so much so that we. Um, Unnecessarily cancel people, and that's not all of us. someone's like cancel them all, cancel everybody, um, and and I don't want to speak with that, speak to that with nuance. But what does it mean for people to be on their journey, and that their Aldersgate Day is like a decade down the road? And how do how do how do we live with people who have not had their Aldersgate Day yet? And I think mm. then it gets personal. How do I live my with myself when I still am not completely sure about this Jesus thing?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think Alders, Aldersgate Day also points to this sense. And we used to talk about this in the old church that I grew up in. Like, you keep going until you get your assurance. Like, the assurance of salvation is available to everyone, but you got to keep going until you get it. Like, it's a journey that is worth it, worthy, worthy, and worth it. But you got you to gotta keep going. And that, I mean, that's hard for some of us, I think. I think some of us are like, I've been doing this thing way too long to not have the assurance of salvation. And like, I'm with you. Like, I don't know how long it's, it's supposed to take. But just because it's delayed doesn't mean at all that it's denied. And, and I so don't want you to miss the thing that's available to you and that's coming to you. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just so much going on there that I think can be really helpful for us to think about. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really, whenever you start talking about Peter, or you really just kind of mentioned him briefly, but I was thinking about how, you know, John Wesley had that experience with the Moravians on the boat where they like started, you know, like singing or whatever. And then I was thinking about, you know, when the disciples were on the boat and there was a storm and, you know, it was like, what are we going to do? And you know Jesus is walking out on the water and then Peter like goes to walk with him but then you know falls and you're talking about people being on the journey of like getting their Aldersgate day experience Peter seems like a kind of guy who like he was following Jesus but he like had to have a couple of those or something like you know I would imagine his walk or he was converted differently differently after those different experiences from the situation on the water to denying Jesus three times, to the conversation after Jesus's resurrection, walking along, talking, you know, I would imagine that those were different moments in the way Peter perceived faith and Jesus and his walk.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And we have to do better about freeing people to be on their journey. And trusting that the Holy Spirit has every intent to bring people to the knowledge that they need, to what what some of us would call the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the justifying knowledge of Jesus Christ, the sanctifying knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have to trust the Holy Spirit knows how to work with people, knows how to bring people there and this is where you get a friend like Peter Bowler who's a Moravian who's like I know you're down in the dumps come come to the I, I mean I don't know who thought that the most exciting thing John Wesley could ever do was go to a society meeting where they're going to read the preface to Luther's um, commentary on Romans like this is going to be lit <laughs> Like, I don't know if that's <laughs> what they said right <laughs> Jesus knows how to get us to where we need to be we have to free each other up to follow him in those directions.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. That's put that on a on a quote board or something.
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so on that note because it feels like you're kind of coming into your your conclusion here, um how does Aldersgate Day carry us and stener us in the overarching story of humanity and the work of the church. And I think you you got to that a little bit when you talked about letting people be on their journey and freeing people up from how do we exist in that. But I, I would love to hear you speak more to all of those things. Yeah.
1: And my neighbor just started mowing us on, so you might be hearing that in the background too. I apologize. Um, I think for all of humanity, Aldersgate Day means so much. I mean I think that there is this opportunity for everyone to experience the holy. And in a way that makes sense for them and a space that makes sense for them, it looks different for a lot of people, right? Like, I think that for some people, it's a very personal um, thing. For other people, it's a very philosophical thing. I mean, I could tell you about these moments where, like, I have just, um, I mean, if you had told me, hey, we're going to read the preface to Luther's epistle to the Romans, or like, something's going to happen in my soul. And that's just because <laughs> I'm wired, right? Like, um, but I think, one, that everybody, there there is an experience for everyone. And I don't know when that happens, um, but everyone gets the opportunity to have a personal experience with the holy that mm-hmm. makes sense for them. And so that's like one of those things. When I say things like I want people to get all that's available to them, I'm thinking about this specifically. But I don't know what that moment is, but man, I want you to get it because I know it's available to you. I just don't know when it's going to happen so that's one piece um, and then I think you know when we start thinking about the work of the church again like how do we invite people on a journey towards being assured of their salvation and not pressure not the you haven't had that moment yet what you doing you know like not pressure not creating sort of in crowd out crowd stuff but where we Celebrate and encourage each other to stay on that journey. To where we listen to each other's pain around faith, but that listening doesn't negate that there's going to be a day that you will be able to separate all of that religious stuff from the Holy One themselves. Like Hmm. we, and that I mean I think that this is what happens to John Wesley. Like all of a sudden, all of the religious stuff—it's its own thing. And his heart being strangely warmed is another. And I think that we in the church have to name that, that it's available to everyone and really encourage each other to figure out where those spaces might be. Um, But to journey with patience. It's not going to happen overnight. And I don't know when it's going to happen for some of us, but it will happen.
0: Mm.
1: That's some of my thinking there.
0: Yeah, that's some of your thinking. Because whenever you talk, you only give everyone about this much of what you're actually thinking. Usually, I and there's do. There's always I a do. lot underneath. Yeah. Which is part of why I love whenever you're on these and I get to talk to you because I think you have so much insight, and I I like to try to be able to scrape a little bit of it and uh, just like share it yeah, with people.
1: I, I will be honest that I'm feeling the opposite, but you know, God be praised.
0: <laughs> I just suddenly was compelled to be like God is good all the time and all the time. God okay, is we don't good. have to
1: do that. We don't. We don't need to do that. Okay, that was not.
0: I don't think we need.
1: That was not on my list. No, not you not know, in the notes. I don't,
0: I'm not a fan of that one. A lot of times, either. Just God be praised. Often accompanied that in my like world, and so yeah. that was that was where that was. I was not suggesting it was appropriate for the moment, Derek. All but good. All good. let But um, I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation today and that people are going to get to hear about Aldersgate Day because I definitely didn't know a lot about it until I showed up in the world of Methodism. And I definitely looked at a Wikipedia article the first time I heard it, and it definitely framed it as John Wesley's day that he got converted. And I was quite confused since he'd already done some things. Yeah. So I really appreciate (laughs) all of those clarifications and thoughts and yeah
1: so way cool. It's been great., um,
0: yeah, has been. Friends, thank you so much for listening. Um, we will be back soon with another episode that is more liturgically rooted, but I hope you enjoyed this brief segue into church history and the Wesleyan tradition and days that matter in it. Um, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wesley Union. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to extend a special thanks to today's speaker, as well as our production team, Troy Argon Buchanan, Sarah Taylor, and Derek Scott III. My name is Allison Corwin, and thank you for listening to Wesley Union, a Studio Wesley offering powered by Campus to City Wesley.